The Future by Stefan Molyneux Chapter 16 A few days after their bargain was struck, David went to pick up Roman in the wilderness. In a concession to the older man's preferences, they rode horses to the outskirts of the sieve. David knew that this uncomfortable but cramping travel was a form of dominance play from the older man, but since it reduced the need for violence, he figured that he could suffer through it. For the first hour or so, they rode in silence, and David could feel the love that the older man had for the wilderness. It only seemed like wilderness from the city, out here, among the circling birds, pine-scented air and slow, scuffling tread of the horses, the quiet and peace and serenity of nature was soothing. Eventually, Roman grunted. Ah, I can smell your sentimentality from here, he said. Excuse me? It's so pretty. Nature is so nice. I should build a cabin in the woods away from the city. It's common, and it's total crap. He swung a hand through the breeze. This air is full of bugs that would kill you if they could. There are snakes under the leaves. All the knee-eye grasses, ticks that would burrow under your skin and poison your blood. Nature is a total bitch. A cold-blooded murderer who wipes out a billion lives a day. <sighs> Men have always been destroyed by pretty women because they think that the prettiness goes all the way through to the soul. This bitch is not pretty. She'll only let you live as long as you remember that. David nodded. But enough about your wife. Roman paused then threw back his head and laughed deeply. <laughs> you married? David nodded. And you're in charge of one of these DROs? Yes. She pretty? David smiled and nodded again. Yeah, but that's only because you're in charge. Leaders get the pretty ones, way in the world. We have that in common, at least. I can't imagine kissing a woman who had never used a toothbrush, thought David, but... Declined to speak out loud. Roman glanced at him. Well, now that we've broken the ice, let's kill some time in conversation. Tell me about these DROs. David took a deep breath. Okay. Everyone has disagreements. That's a constant fact of life, no matter what kind of society you have. The most basic question is, how are you going to resolve those disputes? When you don't have philosophy, you have to have a central authority, a king, a chief, or state, which is why central authorities always oppose philosophy. If people can't reason with each other, they have to take their disputes to a central authority, which rules in favor of one or the other and enforces that ruling with violence. But that doesn't solve the problem. It only makes it worse. If people can't disagree about how disagreements are resolved, there's no quality or efficiency or virtue involved in dispute resolution. Roman scowled and swatted a fly. This is the worst explanation I've ever heard in my life. What the hell are you talking about? David shrugged. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's say I promise to pay you 500 satoshis for a tree. I don't know. And, and you give me the tree. Roman laughed harshly. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh. I'm not some total country fool. You don't have to try and put everything in my eyes, particularly if you think... I would buy a tree for 500 satoshis. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's an old term, widgets. I, I agree to sell you a widget for 500 satoshis. You send me the satoshis, but I don't send you the widget. The older man grunted. That's why we don't bother with currency. We're talking about DROs not rooting in the woods like a badger. How do you resolve this dispute? Well, the two parties tried to resolve their disagreement with each other, but failing that? Well, that's the question of social organization, of civilization, really. But we can't get any further without UPB, universally preferable behavior. David turned his head to Roman, but the older man stared ahead down the green dappled path and would not ask the obvious question. UPB is really the foundation of everything. 
UPB demands that all proposed moral solutions be universal and based on behavior, not thought. If we say that we need a central authority to resolve disputes between citizens, a state judge for most of history, then that state judge... David took a deep breath, surprised at his mental fog. It is horribly difficult to explain new concepts to people without any frame of reference. Roman grunted in amusement. (laughs) I assume you are better at your job than explaining it. I hope so, said David fervently. UPB says that you cannot propose a solution that is outside the solution. If you have a problem, how to resolve disputes, you can't have a solution that exacerbates, makes the problem worse. If you have a headache, your solution can't be decapitation. Roman shrugged. Wow, no more headache. David patted the damp brown neck of his horse. If I make an argument that language is meaningless, I would have to exclude that argument from the general principle that language is meaningless. If language is meaningless, I would never be able to make that argument with any clarity. If language is not meaningless, I can make the argument, but the argument cannot then be that language is meaningless. You see what I mean? If the form of the argument contradicts the content of the argument, it's invalid. Roman considered this for a long moment. Like, if I say that violence never solves anything, then just kill the guy who disagrees with me. David paused. Yes, that works. There was a moment of silence as they passed a bare tree with five enormous black birds sitting on the skinny dead branches. Another bird pecked at something in the tall grass. Roman smiled. Look at him, sharing nicely. David could could not tell whether the old man was being sarcastic. He continued. So we have a problem, which is that people sometimes cannot resolve disputes. The solution can't be a judge that has been imposed on them that people cannot choose. If we are forced to use a particular judge or a particular system, same thing, then we have a bigger problem than our disagreement. The non-aggression principle demands that we not initiate the use of force against each other. Self-defense is fine, though not at that dawn clearing a couple of days ago. And if we are forced to use a dispute resolution organization, again, a state judge for most of history, then we are trying to resolve a contract dispute using the initiation of force, which means that our solution is a bigger problem than the problem itself. It's like, if I ask a girl out, and she agrees to go, and then backs out, and then I drag her to a state judge who forces her to marry me, we have a solution worse than the problem itself. Plus, we are saying that human beings can be irrational, greedy, narcissistic, selfish, horrible in general. But then, we create this opposite category of human beings called state judges that are magically immune from all of these categorizations. That's UPB. Every definition of humanity must include all humanity. It's kind of an obvious thing, but really powerful. Like every definition of mammals must include all mammals. You get the idea, of course. If we say that human beings are selfish and corruptible, then giving them violent monopoly state power to enforce their decisions does not solve the problem of selfishness and corruption. In fact, it just makes them infinitely worse. That was the main problem throughout history. Philosophy was too primitive or or not well understood, or rational philosophy was banished by state power, because in the absence of rational philosophy, state power grows. But everyone said, oh, people are so bad and corruptible that we need to give a small group of people violent monopoly power over everyone else. (sighs) David sighed. Of course, if the definition of humanity includes bad and corruptible, then it also includes all of the judges and rulers and kings and politicians and you name it. UPP clearly states that you can't divide humanity 
into two opposing categories, the devils who need to be controlled and managed and adjudicated, and the angels who can be given violent power over millions without that power corrupting them to the core. Roman scowled. Okay, thanks for the history lesson, but what the hell are DROs? Okay. DROs are dispute resolution organizations. You and I get into a dispute. Wait, let's go back before that. You know in your tribe who the honest and honorable people are, right? Roman nodded. David continued. You have intimate knowledge of their dealings and reputations, but your knowledge is limited to the size of your tribe. And the simple fact is that we can't keep millions of people's reputations in our heads. When society gets larger, like in a city or what used to be called a country, people need to know how honest everyone else is. That knowledge rewards honesty and punishes dishonesty. So we have in the sieve something called a contract rating, which is how well you keep your contracts, your word. If you're raised well and your scans are good and your parents have good contract ratings, it's pretty cheap to get started, even cheaper if your parents are willing to pay for any disputes you lose. It's about one-tenth of a percent of the price of the contract on average, one Satoshi out of every thousand. For that price, you both agree on a third party that you will use to resolve any disputes. That third party is called the DRO. And we all compete with each other, which keeps corruption and costs low. Roman scowled. Yeah, yeah, that's all very nice. But the old problem is, what if you have some dispute, you go to this DRO, and then you ignore the judgment? David's eyes widened. Oh, gosh. You know, for the past hundred years, we have never thought of that problem. All right, all right, go on. David shielded his eyes from the sudden reflection, from a blinding pond to his right. Let's go with it. You and I get into a contract. We can both choose a DRO to resolve any disputes. Let's say we do, and we have a dispute, and can't resolve it ourselves, and go to the DRO for judgment, and you win. Let's say I have to pay you a thousand Satoshis, and I don't. Well, the DRO pays you instead. That's partly why they charge. So why the hell wouldn't I just keep breaking my contracts knowing the DRO is going to pay my penalties? Well, if the DRO has to pay your penalties, then the DRO won't want to do business with you anymore and will cancel your contract. And so, I just go to another DRO. How willing will that DRO be to take you on, knowing that you just cheated the last DRO? Oh, trust me, there'll always be some scavenger willing to take me on. Maybe, but they will have to charge you more because they know that they will probably have to pay your penalties. And each DRO also has its own contract rating based on the quality of its customers. If a DRO ends up full of cheats and promise breakers, other DROs will charge more to do business with them, if they're willing to do business with them at all. Roman considered all this for a moment. I'm like a child at the moment, because when I hear a rule, the first thing I want to do is find an exception. David smiled, surprised at the older man's hint of rudimentary self-knowledge. That's it. Exactly. That is the exact problem that DROs are designed to solve, or have evolved to solve, to be more accurate. People will always try to find ways around established rules, which is why historical state judges tended to become corrupt over time, and laws became so ridiculously complex and impossible to follow. People will always try to find a way around established rules. That includes state judges and everyone who tried to influence their judgments. So, you can either have a system where people profit from the objective enforcement of simple rules, because no one wants to sign up to a DRO that is arbitrary or too complex, or you can have a system where people profit from corruption, because people don't have a choice on how their disputes get resolved. The historical judges. Roman cocked his head. What if I disagree with the decision of a DRO? Well, baked into the contracts are backup DROs. If I think our mutually agreed on DRO has ruled unjustly, I can appeal to another DRO to review that decision. Some contracts have three layers. Most contracts have two just for efficiency. If I go through three DRO reviews and each one agrees, I just 
have to submit or take the consequences. Of course, it's possible that three DROs could all be corrupt in some manner that none of their customers have ever detected. But you don't solve that problem with historical judges. Three voluntarily agreed upon dispute resolution organizations are infinitely better than one coercive, central, unchosen historical judge. Three dates might bring you happiness. One rape will not. Osh. Well, I get the point, grunted Roman. All right, let's play it out. What if you simply refuse to pay, disagree with every decision? What then? Well, eventually you will have a contract rating of zero, which means that you don't have any dispute resolution organization that is willing to guarantee your contracts. You've gone rogue, as we say in the sieve. And? David lowered his hand. The pond had passed. In civilization, just about everything you do involves some kind of contract. If you want to buy a house, contract. If you want to rent an apartment, contract. Borrow money, contract. Buy food, contract. Buy fuel, have electricity, get on a plane, rent a jetpack, become a doctor, have any kind of messaging service. Roman gestured at the horizon. Oh, crap, that you don't need out here. David nodded soberly. Yes, right, exactly. And that's what happens if you are without contracts. No one will do business with you because it's expensive and unknown and a real problem. And we really do treasure our escape from what used to be called paperwork. In the old days, people had to slay for months a year, filling out various forms, paying experts and making calls, all under threat of violence. David shuddered. It's a miserable, terrifying existence. My DRO has a five-minute review every year, and we resolve most conflicts within 24 hours or less. Every time one of our customers successfully completes a contract without conflict, we reduce his or her rates. By the time most people have spent 15 to 20 years in our system, we guarantee their contracts for free if they've never had a significant unresolved dispute. We're not alone in that, but I think we're the best. That's how it works for our customers. Be honorable. Resolve your disputes privately. Or don't have disputes at all. We don't care. And for the rest of your life, you don't pay a single Satoshi for our services. In the bad old days, historical judges, the entire system, made more money when there were lengthy and complicated disputes. So it tried to make them as lengthy and complicated as possible, which is where a lot of the bureaucracy came from. In the voluntary free market DRO system, we make money by preventing conflicts or resolving them as quickly and fairly as humanly possible. We lose money when there are a lot of conflicts or a lot of appeals. Plus, if someone launches a formal dispute and they end up being wrong, they have to pay the costs of the resolution. Every incentive aligns towards peaceful, rapid, efficient dispute resolution. If a DRO gets a reputation for being slow or unjust or non-responsive, we target their customers and offer them incentives to join our DRO. We're constantly nipping at each other's heels. (laughs) It's a lot of fun, really. (laughs) By offering better and faster and cheaper solutions to the problem of conflict resolution. That's just a free market thing. There is no such thing as quality without voluntarism. Roman considered all of this for a long moment. So, you have solutions for problems which don't even exist for me, for my people. What about war and borders and national defense and the military and roads and health care and the education of children, all that the state dealt with in the past? Did it, though? murmured David. I'm better at showing than telling. He opened his phone and checked a notification. If you promise to be absolutely silent... We are on a war footing at the moment, and I can let you in on the negotiations. Roman blinked, startled. And David allowed himself to enjoy the older man's obvious surprise. You're on a... You're on a what? War war footing? Yes, it just came in yesterday. A threat from one of the few remaining rogue nations. No offense, but... You don't strike me as a war leader... David laughed. No, I get that. No offense either. But that's because you do not understand war.
Chapter 17 Roman was deeply shocked by the city. As they rode, the wilderness slowly gave way to occasional farms and cottages. Some of the farms were old-fashioned, tilled by hand with simple implements. Larger ones had robots in the field. Rowan was surprised to see strawberry bushes being pecked at by roving chickens. He said, Why would you make a farm just to feed chickens? David smiled. Wait and see, someone is coming. In the distance, a man walked up, grabbed a chicken, opened its belly, and ate some strawberries. A lot of farmers prefer to disguise their robots as animals. These come from a company called Pickin' Chicken, which specializes in artificial chickens that can pick fruits and vegetables. Client of ours, great people. Roman nodded. These cottages are pretty plain. What did you expect? The older man shrugged. I don't know, giant, slender spires, impossible architecture. Consuming too much arises from trauma, childhood trauma. Roman scoffed. "Ah, You think we mistreat our children? We live on little. You have little. That is the end result of how you treat your children, said David a little cryptically. It's the age-old question. How much is enough? If you're traumatized as a child, then you feel broken, inadequate, not good enough. Most people, in the past anyway, tried to cover up that with extremes of appearance, wealth, beauty, consumption. People are happy here. They don't need to prove anything or show off. Virtue tends towards the middle. It's trauma that feeds the extremes. They rode on in silence. More... Dwellings appeared around them. Couples waved. Children played. Roman said, I don't see any schools. I approve. David smiled. Children love to learn, love to master things. If they just hang around with their parents, they absorb most of what they need to know. Plus, technology changes so fast that education on specifics becomes pretty useless within a year or two. Why do you need cities at all? David shrugged. There's no central planning, no central authority, no state. People come and go as they please. It's not about some overall need. Some people like to live closer to others. Some people like their space. Roman scowled. Who owns things? Whoever builds something or trades for something owns it. Nothing is owned in common? What do you mean? Roman gestured behind him. We make a kill, it's shared. And if someone has screwed up, they go hungry, it's a lesson. You can do that here. Some people set up communities without enforcing individual property rights. They don't tend to last, but it happens. One of my DRO's slogans is, you are what you negotiate. Roman laughed. Oh, deep. It is actually, said David, unoffended by the old man's sarcasm. The city slowly grew up around them. There were narrow avenues for walking, and a wild variety of houses and dwellings, from rustic shacks to larger mansions, and everything in between. Kind of chaotic, said Roman. Freedom can be untidy, but at least it is sustainable. People came out into their front yards to watch them pass. The news of the attack on Alice and Emily had gone everywhere, and the chance to see a genuine nomad from outside the sieve was irresistible. People asked to take pictures. Roman always refused. He murmured, From outside everything to right at the centre. Overhead, sky taxis flew by, some following them closely. Flushed faces leaned over the edge of the pews, shouting phrases of welcome to Roman. He scowled back and waved grudgingly. I thought I was a villain, he grumbled. Did you choose where you were born? Did you... Choose your parents or how you were raised? Asked David. You might know that old phrase of humility there, but for the grace of God, go I. We were lucky, as as we see it, and you were unlucky. You don't blame a man for bad fortune. You only hold him responsible when he has a choice. Yours is only starting now. And yours, muttered Roman. It was such a transparent form of leveling that neither man commented further. 
When they arrived at the command center, the Hololink was already set up. Roman could not help but be impressed by the technology, which seemed as real as being there. <laughs> we can even shake hands, believe it or not, said David, seating himself at the conference table. Don't worry, they are muted at the moment. So are we. Roman leaned in and looked at the swarthy men sitting at the other end of the table. Sure enough, their lips were sealed with what looked like a zipper, and they wore large earmuffs. Roman rapped his knuckle on the table. This is not real? This is real, but their end is not. They can see us in a room that is comfortable to their cultural environment, and we can see them in this room, which we are comfortable with. At least me, probably not you, since there are no vines, mushrooms, or tumbleweeds. Roman could not help but chuckle. <laughs> the sieve seems to rest on a foundation of cliches. David smiled slightly. That's actually more true than you know. Sorry to be annoying. Roman leaned forward and examined the table. Where does it end? What is the unreality? David said, If you put the side of your head on the table and look at it against the window light, you can see a slight seam like it was a really well-fitted divided table. Roman squatted down and stared at the shiny surface. He squinted. David said, We, we can fix aging eyes here. Yeah, and you can make me live longer. Unnaturally long. He ran his fingertips along the seam. Failing does not diminish with age. I can feel a little gap here. I sincerely doubt that, thought David, but kept his scepticism to himself. So the technology is a bit obscure to me, but my understanding is that incredibly tiny nanobots blow air to simulate touch. They can do just about anything from cotton candy to water to clouds to hard surfaces to flesh. I tried a demo a couple of years ago where it felt weirdly like I was being slowly lowered into a kind of gelatin, even under my clothes. It was fairly creepy. I try to keep that stuff to a minimum. It, it messes with your head a little bit. It all does, murmured Roman, sliding his fingertips between the real and simulated tabletop. You must have an entire movement here saying that everything is fake. David shrugged. It happens from time to time, but it's pretty easy to dispel that myth. Uh, we'll have to get into that another time, though. The meeting is about to start. How do you handle the language barrier? The translation is done on the fly, of course, and the movements of their lips are changed to match the words in our language, otherwise it looks like a weird old subtitled movie. Introductions were made. A hot mint tea was exchanged. The heavily bearded foreign leader was named Attica, and she was belligerent from the get-go. This is an outrage! Accusing us of taking your property, threatening to deny us access to markets, descending even into pointed threats against my own person. This is not how civilized people behave. David compressed his lips slightly. I represent a group of fishermen who have brought fishing rights to about 10,000 square kilometers contiguous to our shore. They have secured the right to fish within that area and have been working very hard to make sure that their fishing stocks are not depleted. They have entire onshore farms devoted to breeding and hatching fish, which they then release onto their property. You have been accused of spreading bait outside their property with the goal of bringing their fish into your nets, thus stealing their labor. They have provided extensive documented evidence of your actions, or at least the actions that you as a state leader have undertaken on behalf of your fishermen. Attica scowled scornfully. We reject your so-called evidence. David shrugged. That is irrelevant. We, our association of DROs, have reviewed the evidence extensively and in great detail and have submitted it to an international consortium due to the severity of the complaints. You have been invited to provide feedback, but you have refused to do so. Thus, you are guilty of the theft of multiple bitcoins worth of seafood, primarily cod and tuna. And so you must stop your poaching and provide recompense. And we reject your authority in this matter. And once more, register our outrage that we are being wantonly accused in such a despicable and vile manner. David said evenly, Your outrage has no bearing on the facts of the matter. You being upset might work with your children. It does not work with us. You parked your vessels just outside our customer's property, then drew their fish into your nets. <laughs> in the middle of the night, I might add, as if we can't see anything then and then sold their property, the property you had stolen, into their markets, thus driving down the price of their products, costing them enormous sums, as detailed in our report. 
Attica leaned back and folded his arms across his broad chest, his lips white with contempt. We don't care about what you think you saw, what you think you have proven. He smiled insultingly, spreading his hands. It seems to us that our fishermen are just better than yours. Are we supposed to pay recompense for our ability? We were careful to stay outside your boundaries. We cast our nets, we got some fish, and your society is entirely based on property rights, so why should we lose our property when we have done nothing to interfere with yours? David nodded. We are aware of your position. These negotiations have been going on for over three months now, and you've not changed your approach at all, which is your prerogative, of course. I would never interfere with your free will to make bad decisions. But we have now reached the end of the road. Your words and gestures and insults don't mean anything here. Perhaps in your culture they do, but not here, because we are not raised that way. We know that you have a culture that thrives on cheating and dominating others. You think it is your right for your collectivist beliefs. For you to get our clients fish is a great triumph and makes you feel superior, so I understand why you were doing it. (laughs) You were addicted to cheating because... Well... This isn't therapy. There's no need to analyze motives. As you know, we don't recognize the moral legitimacy of governments. We don't enforce any state contracts. And we've already stopped enforcing any personal contracts you have as individuals, but clearly that has not been sufficient. David took a deep breath. Here's what's going to happen. I'm just informing you. You will pay the bitcoins you owe my clients. And you will stay away from their boundaries. And you will do nothing to sabotage their interests in any way. And you will be brought to heel in a civilized manner. There was a pregnant pause. And then the foreign leaders turned to each other and laughed uproariously. Attica leaned forward. (laughs) Yes, and I will grow wings and learn to fly. The laughter escalated, then subsided. (laughs) You say that my words mean nothing to you. And your words mean nothing to me. You make noises that speak nothing to me, command nothing to me, and my fishermen will continue to do their great work. And if your fishermen have problems, well, they should just learn how to fish better and stop running to you to make meaningless commands to us. David nodded slowly. You think that I am bound by the non-aggression principle to merely make meaningless threats? You want to use my virtues against me because I respect property in human life, while you are a tribal thief. Roman leaned forward, fascinated. Attica stared back, a slight smirk on his face. He said, nothing. David pursed his lips. Yours is a tribal society with a history of war. You yourself declared war against one of your minority populations late last year, and it went well for you, I think. War is the health of the state, so the saying goes, and the state is the health of war. Because without the state, war is impossible. Attica narrowed his eyes. Yes, and you, without a state, have neither protection nor offense. David paused for a moment. I would argue the complete opposite. It is you who has neither protection nor offense, because you are the head of a government. Attica laughed harshly, gesturing at his sniggering companions. (laughs) Are you mad? I command an army of almost limitless power. You do. You certainly do. We keep our own weapons development secret because there's no point parading power around. It just encourages people to find countermeasures. And I I know that you will think I am bluffing. But we have poured all our military spending into defense against the kinds of attacks you have been bragging about. David gestured at the air. It's a strange kind of vanity. You have showy parades and brag about your offensive capacities, your orbital lasers and hypersonic burrowing weapons and all sorts of wild stuff. And all we have to do is watch what you do and pour all our efforts into countermeasures. Attica considered this. You are bluffing. Your society is weak and pacifist and puts life above property. This means that you will not attack us over a mere property dispute. David blinked. Who told you that we value life over property? 
Attica gestured airily. Man, this is well known. It was David's turn to laugh. <laughs> it always amazes me how people just refuse to do even the most basic research. He leaned forward, his voice suddenly steely. We do not value life above property because there is no life without property. These are two sides of the same coin. We all need to eat, very nice tea by the way, and drink and find shelter. We need food and liquid and houses. These are all property. You own yourself. I own myself. We both own the effects of our actions, which will be revealed in a moment. You are property. I am property. And we both require property to live. Human life and property cannot be separated. If a man rapes your daughter, he is violating her property. Her body belongs to her, and he is using it without her consent. Your life is your property, and if I kill you, I am taking your property. David put down his teacup. People and cultures use this artificial division between life and property to justify taxation and redistribution. They say that a starving man is permitted to steal bread, therefore you can tax and redistribute wealth because life is more important than property. And you end up with neither. Slavery is wrong, even if you won't admit that. And if you steal a man's property, you are enslaving him for the amount of time it takes for him to replace that property. If you kidnap a man and force him to work for you for a week or a month, you are enslaving him. It doesn't matter whether you kidnap him directly or indirectly by stealing his property and enslaving his labor to replace it. We would be justified in using force, even according to you, if you were physically kidnapping our fishermen and enslaving them to work for you. Well, you are kidnapping them. Stealing is enslavement, and you are slave owners, and we will not hesitate to use force against you on those grounds. Attica sneered. And what kind of force are you going to use on us? You are too afraid even to meet us face to face. So we have to use this voodoo coward technology. You are delicate and unreal. Here it could be understood that the translation mechanism was having some difficulty with the insults. You forget your women and run into the dreams of the machines. You are addicted to universalism and so are no match for us. It is like we are playing a game on a field and you pass to us all the time, but we only pass to ourselves. You will lose sooner or later. Your words break upon our resolution like a tiny wave on a mighty pier. We have given you the courtesy of listening to one of your famous lectures. We now go about our business. He reached forward to disconnect the meeting. Roman laughed harshly. David raised a small black box with a red button. If I press this, you die. There was a pause. Attica smiled broadly. <laughs> oh no, a button! David said, It might be worth asking what it does. Does it end this interminable conversation? No. But it does end your family line. Attica paused. He muttered a phrase which the translation declined to render. My family line? His eyes narrowed. Even in... You would not punish children for the actions of their fathers. David pursed his lips. We've really tried to narrow it down. It would be great to get it down to a single individual's DNA, but we haven't been able to get it to be that accurate, at least as yet. You will now explain yourself... David stood up, smoothing his trousers. War has always been a funny business. Until recently, and in my neighborhood, so to speak, men and women who started wars gained power, made money, and featured prominently in historical works. Assuming they had no compassion for the millions of soldiers and civilians they sent to their deaths, war was a pretty damn good business for them. If they faced any kind of division or insurrection at home, they could start a war and provoke immediate loyalty. If they borrowed money from another country, couldn't repay their debts, as was inevitably the case every time in history, they could just start a war and erase everything they owed. 
If free speech was becoming too much of a bother, they could start a crisis and clamp down on what they so laughably called <laughs> misinformation. It's so easy to frighten people into compliance. And it's even easier to turn their fear into rage against anyone the rulers point at. Don't imagine that we don't know exactly why you are provoking this conflict. We know that your rule is threatened at home, largely because of us. You can't really stop the flow of communication in the world these days. And your population sees how free we are, how secure we are, how happy we are. David's voice lowered to a dangerous tone. The parents in your land don't want to know or implement the reason why we are free, which is peaceful parenting. Which I understand, of course, is not how you were raised. <laughs> we put you in a scan, you probably blow the whole thing up. He smiled grimly. Everyone wants to be free and wealthy and happy and powerful, like us. But no one wants the path to get here, which is raising children peacefully. So, you have a lot of unrest in your land. Our example is undermining your power. The power that you have over your people, as you call them. Oh, it's a vile phrase, like a zookeeper talking about his animals. But accurate, I suppose. David took a deep breath and exhaled. <sighs> we know that you need to provoke an external conflict to clamp down on your people and draw them closer in allegiance to you. It's all... So predictable, so boring. And we don't care. We care about reasonable people who treat their children well. You are just a kind of historical monster, a predatory beast of the old world. And you expect to profit from war, in money, in loyalty, in power, in control, in doing what politicians always do, which is to punish your enemies and reward your friends. David raised his little black box. The resolution in his voice seemed to force Attica's eyes to stare at it. Attica, get everyone out of your room. Attica paused, then gestured, and his companions fled. David said, thank you. You expect to profit from war. This is all contingent on you staying alive. Or even if you don't care that much about your own life, on your bloodline, staying alive. If I push this button, which I have been fully authorized to do by everyone who matters in our world, then a very special and specific virus is released into the world. You won't know where, but it's close. And this virus is programmed to leave everyone alone except you, and sadly the people who are genetically very close to you. It will infect you and kill you very quickly. And then it dies itself. I have made this particular speech to... David scrunched his eyes together. Six leaders in my time here as head of this DRO. I have sworn them all to secrecy, as I am now swearing you to secrecy. Because if word gets out about our weaponry, we lose some leverage, at least for a while. The fact that you don't know anything about what I'm telling you is why they and their families are still alive. You are going to withdraw your vessels and pay what you owe. Atticus' cheeks were fiery red. He laughed harshly. <laughs> this is still a bluff, my friend. The button is connected to nothing. Only five, murmured David. What? What? David cleared his throat. <clears throat> Only five of the leaders I talked to decided to do the right thing. Attica squinted, his mind racing. Are you talking about... No, that, that was a jet crash. David pursed his lips. We released the virus when his brother was flying the jet. The bodies were obviously too destroyed to detect it. And then we had the same conversation with his successor. Attica's lips were white. You've, 
You destroyed his entire family? David nodded. Well, his parents raised him to be a monster, and he was raising his children to be monstrous, so there really wasn't any potential for rehabilitation. His wives chose to marry him, which perfectly revealed their own characters, and he shared power and profits with his brother, which revealed his. Here's the basic question. The money you have stolen from our hard-working fishermen, it's a lot of value. If you and your family were struck with some random illness, whatever, and you, for some reason, decided to come to our fishermen and demand a large number of whole bitcoins to save your lives, would they pay it? Atticus started to speak, but David gestured and his mouth was replaced with a zipper. One moment. I know it's provocative. Give me a second. Let's turn it around. If one of my fishermen's family was sick, would you pay what you have stolen in order to save his life and the lives of his family members? <laughs> of course not. You'd probably laugh and do some kind of strange dance in your chambers. It's the same for us. For them. For me. Would I pay an enormous amount of money to keep your scurvy bloodline alive? David shook his head. Of course not. In fact, if I found out that you had all died in some horrible accident, I think my day would lighten a little. There would be a spring in my step and a song in my heart. David leaned forward towards the apoplectic man. But this is all nonsense and meaningless. We won't be a foreign pawn in the suppression of your own people. We won't be a part of the destruction of the few remaining liberties in your land. We know you can easily afford to pay back what you have stolen. We know that you care about your bloodline and the continuation of your power. You also know that five of the six people I last told about this all made the right decision because they are still alive and our disputes with them ended abruptly while the other took longer to solve and an entire family died. One man rolled the dice, played the ancient game of Russian roulette, if that means anything to you. And he is now helping the world in his absence by serving as an example of our power and resolution. You have everything you need to make the right decision. Withdraw your ships, pay us back, go in peace. David unzipped Attica's mouth. Attica looked utterly bewildered. A cunning look came into his dark eyes. But you, but your entire society is founded on the caring and protection of children. David smiled. That is true. Tell me, do you care more about your own children or mine? Mine, of course. Agreed. One of the great tragedies throughout history has been the holding of children as a kind of hostage I'm sure you know about this in the old world under the program of what was called welfare. Women either had children with bad men who left or with good men and drove those fathers away. Either way, the women were responsible for becoming single mothers, which in both our cultures is a great sin. Anyway, the mothers ran to the politicians and demanded money and health care and shelter and food and resources for their children. In other words, in the old world, you could basically give birth to an economic hostage. During and after the cataclysms, this ancient female trick was tried again. However, with advancements in moral philosophy, the only advancements that really matter in this world, the question was asked, why should I care for your children more than you do? David pretended to gasp, his hands covering his mouth. He imitated the long dead women. Oh, but my children need money. Yes, and your children needed a father. Did you make sure they got one? He ran away. It wasn't my fault. If you can't judge a person's character, you've no business being a parent. You can't keep your children. You can't instruct them on how to be good people if you can't even recognize obviously evil people. How dare you suggest taking my children from me? We refuse to care for your children more than you do. Otherwise, all we do is reward women who give birth to hostages. David chuckled. <laughs> It all seems so quaint and funny now, but at the time it was all quite manic and hysterical. His face grew serious. Look, I don't care about you, and you don't care about me, I get that. 
I do vaguely care about the people who live under your rule, which is why I won't do anything to give you more power over them. We live and serve as an example to the world of what a truly civilized society looks like. And that is a problem for you. It's not my problem. My problem is protecting the property rights of my customers. You pay or you die. Atticus' face looked like it was caving in, but he roused himself for one last opposition. You were assigned the death penalty for an entire bloodline over some fish? You talk about fish. I am discussing principles. If you lived in our society, we could ostracize you, bring you to heal that way, but you are in another land, in a primitive form of social organization, and your heart and soul have been hollowed out by the exercise of political power. So I don't view you as an equal. I view you as a kind of predator, one who becomes more dangerous over the course of a civilized discussion. In the past, good people were sentimental, which is why virtue was always destroyed. David's face grew even more serious. Come on, man. Just think about it. Your entire bloodline has been struggling forward from the primordial soup for over four billion years. Think of all the sacrifice of the billions of organisms that had to win and reproduce and avoid predators in order to give you this incredible gift of life. You can muddle forward in your way. You you can keep your power and prestige and own people like farm animals. All you have to do is give up the fish and a few bitcoins. Do you honor your ancestors? Do you honor their sacrifice? Do you care for your children? Then do the right thing. Even if it's compelled, it counts. Atticus scowled, glancing to his left and right. I believe nothing. I will give you your answer in an hour. David smiled. Your terms are acceptable. He pressed the button and disconnected the meeting. The far end of the room shimmered out of existence, replaced by bland carpet and white paint.